So we're in this series uh, called Unleashed, and we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're looking at how, um, we're looking at how the early disciples, who, who many of them walked with Jesus, they saw the resurrected Jesus, they saw the empty tomb, but they never lived out their faith in a world... Um, yeah, they never lived out their faith in a world where Jesus wasn't walking with them, right? Um, and we're seeing how at the very beginning of Acts, these disciples are sent out into the world um, to be light, to share the gospel, to try to figure out how do they form their identity, how do they do family, how do they do their jobs in the midst of a society um, that doesn't believe in Jesus, that doesn't like people who believe in Jesus, and how do they handle all of that? And so we're, we're, we're in, I think, our sixth lesson at looking at this and seeing how do these early disciples who are in a situation like you guys are, forming your identity, starting your life, figuring out what does it mean to be a Jesus follower in your day-to-day life, how do they do that? And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, but as I was thinking and reflecting on, upon um, uh, this passage, it just, it just struck me about how much advice we get daily, right, through the news, through friends. Um, if, if you just follow the news at all about, for example, health care advice, right, you hear on one hand that, that you, you should fast because fasting is, is great. There's, there's like entrepreneurs who are fasting now as an ultimate hack for their life. Right, they fast for five or six days, and apparently they get a tremendous amount of work done. So it's like a new superpower is how one of them described it. Um, you can hear people who say you shouldn't eat any carbs because that would be the best for your mindset, or you should go on the Mediterranean diet because that would be best for your longevity. You hear people who say you shouldn't eat meat because that's best for the environment so that cow flatulence doesn't set off more whatever it is. You know, right? Um, and so you hear people who tell you you should do cardio, you should lift weights. You have people who tell you you should sleep eight hours. People who tell you you should wake up at 4 a.m. to get all this stuff done. Uh, you, should, you, know, you hear all these things that people tell you to do. In addition to what your friends are telling you to do, how to study, how to handle your relationships, um, how to handle your family, right? How to handle uh, anxiety or depression or frustration or anger. You have all, these, all this advice that's coming to you in your life. And I, and I wonder if you ever stop and you ask yourself or ask the people who are giving you this advice, does this really make a difference? If I'm going to fast for five days, am I really going to be more productive? If I'm going to stop eating meat, is it really all that good for the environment? If I'm going to stop um, eating carbs, is that really going to help me? Because cake is amazing. And so how do you balance that out, Right. If, if you do what your friends tell you with your relationships, is that really going to help your relationship or will it make it worse? If you wake up at 4 a.m., is your life going to be better? If you sleep nine hours, will your life be better? If you sleep six hours, will your life be better? Do you ever just stop and ask, does this make a difference? We're just inundated with advice and ways for people to tell us to live our lives. And they all, they all promise something. But does it really make the difference that they claim it makes? It's right now um, really popular in Silicon Valley to start reading the ancient Stoics because the type of distancing yourself from the world and the things that are happening to you, um, that separation, they say, is better for you. So there's books about that, right? Does that really improve your life to live like an ancient Stoic? And I ask this because we are disciples of Christ. We believe that the most important thing in the history of the world is that Jesus died and was raised again. And you ever stop and ask yourself, what kind of difference does that make to your life? What kind of difference did it make to your day today, from the moment that you woke up to this evening, that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was buried, and rose from the dead? 
Because we live in, in, in a culture, I know that you can watch the news, I know you can see the statistics that this is true, um, that, that, that Christianity is on the decline, church attendance is on the decline uh, in the U.S., not in other parts of the world, but in the U.S. So we live in a culture that, um, that kind of Christendom is passing. But we in the South, at Auburn, Alabama, we still live in a culture that's heavily Christian. And so a lot of people have the name of Jesus Christ. A lot of people, at least are in some sense, connected to a church, but are all those people really impacted by Christ? You live in a society which is inundated with Christianity. Is this a better society for it? Has Christ made a difference to it? To our relationships, to our marriages, to our finances, to to, to the struggles of our lives? Because here's the thing, if, if if you were not a Christian, and somebody comes to you and starts saying things about Jesus Christ, isn't one of the things you would want to know is, is, is it worth it? Does it matter? I mean, we can talk about Christianity is true, and, and, and it is, um, but what a lot of people at the end of the day want to know is not is Christianity true, but will Christianity matter to my life? Will it make a difference? And I don't simply mean... Um, I don't simply mean of, uh, that, that does Christianity give you a different set of a kind of moral code. But I mean, does Jesus Christ himself, does he matter to your life? Is your life better because of your faith in Jesus? Is it markedly different? And, and can I just say that I think this is a hard question for a lot of you and for myself included because you were raised in a Christian home. And so how do you answer that question? How did Jesus change my life? Because every single disciple that we encounter in Acts had an answer to that story. But here's my conviction, and, I, and I've been really convicted about this recently. I've talked to some of the leaders in this ministry about this. That, that I feel that for a lot of us, we can't answer that question. That if you were sitting across the table tonight after Devo with a non-believer, and they said, tell me the difference that Christianity makes to your life, that I think a lot of, a lot of you would struggle to explain that. You struggle to have an answer besides kind of the prepackaged church answers that you were taught in VBS. But not answers that come from the heart, not answers that come from what re- you've really experienced in your life. And so tonight, we're going to look at a story of a guy who, who there's no doubt that he can answer that question because he encountered two men who could answer that question. And I just want us to spend some time thinking about that tonight. But here's the thing. Um, I want you to seriously, throughout this uh, lesson, wrestle with the question, how has Jesus changed your life? And we will come back to that. And so throughout, as I talk and if we look at the scriptures, I hope that you will begin reflecting on that in your heart of hearts and be, begin asking yourself, how would you answer that question? So turn to Acts chapter 3, if you haven't already. I turned to Zechariah on accident. <clears throat> We could do that if you wanted to. If you want to. Yeah, okay. um, <clears throat> whatever Cameron wants. Uh, so, um, by the way, let me say that I wasn't here last week because I had a, uh, uh, um, you'll hear about this in a few months, but the, we do go to a conference called Gulf Coast Getaway. I'm on the board of that. We had a board meeting last Tuesday. It just so happened to align with the Tuesday that Ben Waycaster was teaching. I, I heard, and this is hearsay, haven't heard the lesson and stuff. I heard he did a terrific job. Uh, I believe it, though. Uh, so a big no, no. Uh, so a, a, a huge. I'm very appreciative that he did that. Ben is an incredible teacher, um, but also just at, uh, as an intern, just beginning. I'm very impressed with how well he teaches. So I, I'm appreciative of all of you who showed up. 
um, last week, I know it was a rainstorm. I heard, uh, I heard uh, some of you got, got soaked uh, and still came. Where's Leo? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so uh, I mean this serious, uh, sincerely that I'm so glad that you guys came last week, and I'm so appreciative of Ben um, teaching like he did. But we, we, we left off last week at the end of... Um, uh, the descri- Luke gives you this description. He does this eight times so Acts where he kind of steps back and he describes what the community of believers is like, right? And so he describes the community and, and, and Ben taught on that last week, but that was at the tail end of, of Peter having stood up in front of thousands of people and preached the first gospel message, the first sermon to non-believers, and you had 3,000 people come to faith and you had this community form. And so it opens up at the beginning of chapter 3 after all that had happened and it says one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, there were two times of daily prayer, 9 and and 3, that they would go to. At 3 o'clock, there was an offering that was made. So you just had to picture a lot of people coming to the temple at this time. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And so um, if you were a beggar at this time, uh, why would you want to be at the temple court, at the temple gate at this time, at three in the afternoon? Very simple question. Yes, you have thousands of people coming to the temple court, coming to worship God. And in Judaism, just like Christianity, there's there's a a huge um, sympathy and empathy for the poor and they saw it as a religious duty to give to those in need. And so if you were someone who needed the support of others, you've got to remember this is, this is a time in which there's no welfare, which there's no social safety net. So if you were lame and you could not work and you could not earn a living, you starved unless people helped you out. And so here's a man that was placed by this gate. By the way, it was, it, they're not sure uh, what gate it was. Um, it's not common. There, there's not really a reference to a gate that was called beautiful. So it wasn't apparently it wasn't called that by a ton of people. Um, but the, the gate that they think this is reconstruction, obviously, um, was the, the uh, um, Nicanor gate, I think they pronounce it. And it would have been a big door, uh, um, a double, double, double gate kind of uh, bronze it'd been have a lot of decor- decorations. And so a lot of people would have gone into that because it was a major gate, very easy to get to from where a lot of people were. And so you got to picture this guy sitting kind of uh, there outside the gate and people walking by. And he's just asking them for money. You've seen beggars on the street and you don't want to make eye contact. If you make eye contact, they're going to ask you. So this guy's going through that. Can you imagine being in this guy's situation every day? What do you think he felt? Rejection. Rejection. Insignificance. Insignificance. Can you imagine just sitting next to people's dirty, disgusting feet every day, just hoping someone would make eye contact and hoping that someone would give you a little bit of money so that you wouldn't starve. And this is going on from birth. By the way, he, wouldn't, he wasn't allowed into the temple courts, according to the Old Testament. So he's standing there watching people go in and worship his God. He can't go in there. He can't support himself. He can't support a family. So it's, it's, it's pretty uh, reasonable to think he doesn't have one. Think about the loneliness, the lack of dignity this man has. And all he's thinking about at this time is, how do I get enough money so I don't starve by the end of this week? And he's sitting there watching people go by. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. 
He's got a picture, hundreds of people walking by, a huge crowd, right? This isn't Peter being rude. This is Peter trying to get the attention of a guy who's in desperate need. He says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them, right? What's he expecting? Money. He's going to get money from this guy. Thank goodness this, this worshiper of God is going to stop and give me some coins so that I can buy food so I won't starve. And, and, and maybe I can just get off these streets for the rest of this night and start again tomorrow, right? Verse 6. Then Peter said to him, silver, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, We, we pass over that really quickly, and this is just for free. But think about how odd that is. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This was a man who had walked through these very streets a few weeks before. And you're the beggar. You've heard of the guy. And someone's walking past you, and they say, I don't have money or, or I don't have anything to give you except this. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. How strange that would have been. It would be like uh, Marshall or Biggie. Jeremy's got a boot on his foot from an injury. If I had Jeremy walked past me, if I said, Jeremy, in the name of Jamie Matthews, walk. Right? That would have been, all of you would have been like, whoa, what's going on there? Because why, what does Jamie have to do with this? And can you imagine the oddity of, of being that beggar and someone says, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk for the first time in his life, right? From birth, he was lame. He's never had a moment in his life that he walked. He's never had a moment in his life where, where he says, then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Here's a man who's never stepped foot in the, temp- stepped foot in the temple courts, a man who's never walked, who's never jumped, and you just get this picture of all of a sudden he's healed in the name of Jesus Christ, and he's running around and jumping and praising God because for the first time in his life, he's healed. For the first time in his life, he's complete. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. Like, this is a man who if you ask the question, how has Jesus Christ impacted your life? He would have an answer for that. Here's a guy that knew concretely why it is that Jesus mattered to his life. Because moments before, he could not walk. Moments before, he could not stand. Moments before, he every day had to sit by the gate and beg. And all of a sudden, Jesus changed his life in an instant. It wasn't because he went to an amazing physical therapist. It wasn't because he all of a sudden learned a new technique for walking as a lame man. It's because in that moment, he encountered the power of Jesus Christ. Through these men, through Peter and John. This is someone who knows why Jesus matters to him. And I find it instructive at this moment that, that um, did he get what he wanted? No. Now, what amazes me about this story is when he encounters Jesus, he doesn't get what he asked for. He gets something that he never imagined he could get. Now... We have a lot to cover, and, and, and so there's so much I want to say about this. But, but you should know that, that in, in the scriptures, um, in, the, in the Gospels and in Acts, miracles happen um, you know, fairly often, but not everyone's healed. 
there are many lame people who weren't healed, right? And so the scholars understand that what's going on is that, that this is a visible symbol of a spiritual reality. That what you're seeing here is someone who is broken. Someone who is not as God made them to be. And because they encountered Jesus, they were healed. But what's amazing to me is that this is, this is someone who didn't know that he could be fully healed, that he could be made complete. That's not what he was expecting. That's not what he was wanting. Do you realize how often it is that we just we, we try to manage the problems in our life rather than seeking the healing, the fixing, the redemption of those areas of our lives? Do you realize how often it is that, that you're not wanting your greed fixed? You're not wanting your lust fixed. You're just wanting them managed so, so that they don't really disrupt your life too much. Here's a man that what he was thinking of was not being able to walk, but just being able to get through the day because of his brokenness. And what Jesus offers him is a complete healing. And I think one thing that, that Luke is trying to show us through showing this, this, this miracle is that there are people in the world who they, they don't know what they want from Jesus. They don't know what Jesus can offer. Their expectations isn't that Jesus is going to deal with the lust, the greed, the brokenness, the anger, the isolation, the depression, the anxiety. All they're wanting is for that to be helped just enough for them to get through the day. And what the Gospels hold out to us, what Jesus holds out to them, is that their lives will be made whole. That their lives will be healed. You know, when the Scriptures describe what happens to you as a believer, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about incremental change. It doesn't talk about, well, I've really seen that your life's gotten, gotten better. The image that it constantly reaches for is a new birth. Because the type of change that Jesus offers to you is so radical, is so complete, that it can only be described as giving you a completely new life. This man wasn't searching for that. Many of people, many people on this campus aren't searching for that. Many of you aren't searching for the complete restoration that Christ can give you. You just want kind of to be uh, your sin, your problems, to be slightly dealt with, to be slightly improved. So that your lust doesn't really affect your dating relationship, but it's still there. So your greed doesn't really damage your family, but you're still greedy. So your ambition doesn't really put you at odds with your coworkers, but you're still secretly ambitious, right? And what Jesus offers to you is a complete healing. What he offers to the world is that. Notice the difference that he, that he makes for this guy's life isn't incremental. It's holistic. It's complete. If you walked up to this man... He would, he would describe what Jesus did to him uh, in, in amazing terms. And it strikes me that, that that kind of audacity of the Christian faith is something that the world needs to hear. That we're not just talking about an, another life strategy, another way to structure your life so that you're a little bit happy, happier. That we're talking about new life, new birth. We're talking about the, the sins and, and the problems in your life that are holding you down, the sins and problems in your life that, that are destroying your life. They're making you miserable. That Christ promises, Christ promises, sorry, Christ promises to make those whole, to give you not just life, but as he says in John, abundant life.
Is that what you're seeking? When you think about what Jesus has done and is doing to you, uh, for you, do you think about it in those kind of holistic, large um, categories? Or is your vision of the impact that Jesus makes on your life small, incremental, kind of minute? So I don't mean to stay on that. that but notice, notice also in, in this story, what did Peter and John say to this man? Money, you know, silver and gold do not have, but what? And keep going. In the name of Jesus Christ, what do they mean by that? By the power of. You might not catch this, but notice how different that is from the Gospels. Because how does Jesus heal? By his own authority, by his own name, right? His, it's not that Peter and John are going, seeking glory, or talking about how great they are, or, or talking about kind of the, the wisdom they have in helping somebody that's lame like this. They can really help their lives because they've got some, some, some advice, some strategy for this guy. That when they go to him, what they bring him is not their advice. What they bring him is not their knowledge. They just simply bring him Jesus and the power of Jesus. And these people crowd around, and you just got a picture. It's probably some time elapsed. This guy's kind of hot, kind of leaping and jumping all over the place and praising God. And people are starting to click that. Wait a second, this guy for days, for, for for weeks, for months, I've seen this guy sitting out outside the gate, and now he's jumping around, and people are starting to click that something amazing just happened. And just like in Acts chapter two, a crowd forms. A guy's life has changed. People see it, and a crowd starts forming. And notice what I want you to notice: what Peter and John do. Because it's easy for us to go out into the world with our own wisdom and our own power and want to talk about the difference that people's life, the difference that can be made in people's life. And it kind of boils down to our advice. Or it boils down to what our church can do for you. You know how much marketing goes into churches now? Like, it's kind of odd to me to see commercials where churches market um, what you experience if you go there. When in Acts, what, what's kind of marketed, what's sold is what you experience if you encounter Jesus. It's so easy to get kind of turned around about what the focus is. It's easy for us to want the glory and focus on ourselves as we go out to help those around us. But notice what they do. Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if, notice this, as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? In other words, it's not because we were so righteous. It's not because we were so godlike. It's not because we had this kind of power. What you're seeing is that something that we did. It's not an event that we put on. It's not a strategy that we concocted. What you're seeing is the effect that Jesus Christ had in this man's life. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. You handed Him over. By the way, if you, were, you should get that if, if about 20, 30 of you came to our, our Wednesday lunchtime Bible study that we kicked off last week. And we looked at Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. So this is kind of, this is what he's referencing, right? When he says the servant Jesus. You handed Him over to be killed and you disowned Him before Pilate, though He had decided to let Him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Day 
decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have people who are convicted that this man is the author of life. And notice how, notice kind of how the life is being displayed there. Here's a man that was lame, and he's enlivened now by the power of Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, verse 15. We are witnesses of this. The church goes out and they witness to Jesus. It sounds complicated, but in many ways it's that simple. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what God did in Jesus. And they show people that. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. Referencing there, they, they were ignorant about who Jesus was, so they had Jesus put to death. But this is how God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets, saying that His Messiah would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. Other translations say blotted out. The imagery there is when they would write on papyrus, um, it wouldn't sink into the paper. And so you could actually just wash off the ink, wash, wash off the stain to make it clean. And, and he's saying, that, look, you guys, you see this amazing thing. This man is walking. This man who his whole life has been lame. That was done by the power of Jesus. And yes, you killed him. But when you see this power, when you see the amazing work of God, when you see the difference that Jesus Christ makes in someone's life, the question for you is, how do I get connected with this Jesus? And Peter's answer is to repent so that your sins may be wiped out. That times, notice, of refreshing may come from the Lord. The imagery there is of breathing kind of on a wound, right, to heal it. Kind of this freshness. You ever kind of like as a kid fell and skinned up your knee and then your parent kind of uh, breathed on it? You know, what do you say? Like, um, right? So, I don't know why that doesn't sound right to me. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, long day. Uh, so you're praying, and, and it would instantly feel better. <laughs> yeah, I was saying like breathing, like hot breath. Oh, that wouldn't work. Uh, so the, uh, I'm not a very good parent. Uh, but, the, uh, um, but that's kind of the imagery there. Turn to Christ. So that all these problems in your life, all the problems that you see, so that these things can be made better, so that Christ can begin to heal that. Um, verse 20 um, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophet. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everyone he, everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Verse 24, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who, is, who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So, think about what these people had just seen. They had seen before their very eyes the difference that Jesus made to the life of this person. And when they encountered that, Peter and John didn't take any glory for themselves. They spent that time to focus the attention, focus the glory on Jesus Christ and how through the power of Jesus, this man was healed. 
Remember that this is a visible act that's supposed to point to the spiritual reality. Pointing to the life change, point, pointing to the completeness that comes through Jesus Christ. And when people see that and remark that, that, that all that Peter and, James, um, Peter and John did was he just told people that the most important thing for you, if you see the difference that Jesus makes, is for you to come to terms with your relationship with this man, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. Because if you see the difference he, He's made in the life of this person, then that can, uh, you can have that in your life. You can have that with your problems, with your difficulties, with your spiritual lameness, with your broken relationships. Through you coming to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me that the, first time, I mean, the second time in Acts that the gospel goes out, it goes out because the, people, uh, because the disciples of Jesus just simply say, if you want the difference in your life that you're seeing through Jesus Christ, then all you need is to follow Jesus. That's their evangelistic message here, right? I mean, he throws in a lot of things that the Jewish people would have understood, quotations, references, titles. But the gist of it is that if they want the difference in their lives that they're witnessing before their very eyes, then the way they get that is to come to faith in Christ. I'm concerned uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, as I said at the beginning, I think that a lot of Christians in the church can't explain to someone else, but even in, in kind of inwardly, in their own hearts, in their own quiet time, how Jesus matters. Notice that what, what Jesus offers, I think this is, what's, this is kind of being symbolized here by this man being made whole when that wasn't what he was seeking. I think what, what Jesus offers you, whether or not you grew up in the church or not, whether or not you, you went to every youth group function or not, what Jesus offers you is a complete restoration, an enormous, audacious difference in your life, not incremental change, not just a social group to be a part of, not just something to do Sunday morning and Tuesday night, but a life that can only be described as a life that's been restored, that's been made whole, in a difference that people around you should see should notice what difference has Jesus made in your life if you're a believer what has, how has your faith impacted your life I mean, my own life as I've thought about this I mean, a lot of it is, is the way that Christ restrains the worst part of my nature of my personality like I, I could see it kind of, <laughs> I see it in my family, you know, some of it's got to be genetic. I could see it kind of in, in my kids, the, the, the competitiveness, the condescension, the sharp words. Also, though, depression. And the way that Jesus hasn't just offered to me kind of uh, minute change, but the way that he has uh, restrained that in my life. The type of person I would be today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, yes, I was raised in the church, yes, I was kind of raised in a youth group, our church was so small, we didn't have youth groups, our youth group's like 70-year-old people, uh, but, but the type of change that would have happened in my life if Jesus hadn't been in it is enormous. I would not be a good person. I would be much more ambitious, much more combative, much more arrogant. Jesus has made a difference to my life. 
And I come from a family where not everyone is Christian. My father became a Christian when I was three. He was, he was 40 years old. We've got an incredible life story before that, but his life was incredibly changed by it. Can you point in your life to the difference that Christ made to your lust, to your greed, to your, to your anger, to your despair, to what your major is, to what your career is, to whom you're dating? People on this campus who don't know Jesus want to know if He makes a difference. Do you realize that the most powerful way that we can go out to the world is not by, it's not by, I love the events that we do here, but it's not by telling them we have great events. I'm struck by the way that, that the early church spread was not because they put on amazing programs or great events. It was not because they had the best marketing. It was not because they had the best speakers. Paul says he was a terrible speaker, right? He's a tremendous evangelist. The church spread because it was a bunch of people who knew how Jesus Christ changed their lives, who went out into the world and just simply invited people to partake in that. I'm concerned because, number one, for your soul, I want you to know how Jesus makes a difference because it could be that some of you have been quenching the Spirit so much in your life that you haven't let Him make the difference that He wants to make in your life. That your faith has brought incremental change, but not monumental change, not a rebirth, not a new kind of life. It could be that some of you have been deceived by growing up in a Christian home to thinking you really are a disciple and you really aren't. But I'm also concerned for the very mission of our ministry and the mission of, our, uh, of, the, of, of, of God's people. That not only can some of you, not only are some of you not aware of how Jesus changed your life, but there's no way you're going to be able to tell others about it. Because you don't know. All you have is come to our events. All you have is come to church with me. You don't have, here's how Jesus made me whole. And I wish you had that. Uh, my father, before, before he was a Christian, was uh, an atheist. Um, both he and my mom, their spouses had left them. They were broken. My mom dealt with that by going to church. Um, they met each other. Um, just because they live in the same neighborhood after their divorces, um, and, and, and they were married. And so my mom dealt with it by going to church. So my dad knew if he wanted to marry my mom, he had to go to church. So he went to church, but he didn't believe. And, uh, and so he would argue with the preachers. And my father was a very good and also very annoying uh, uh, kind of debate partner. Uh, and and he, one of his favorite arguments, and think, think about this. For, <laughs> think about this. He would say, if you guys really believe that Jesus mattered, why aren't you going and telling everybody about it? An atheist put that together. Jesus makes the, is, makes the most amazing difference to my life. Really, who have you told? And I just wonder if part of the reason we don't tell people is because we don't know what difference he's made. One of my favorite stories, I've told it a lot, um, but I don't think I've told it this semester, so I'll tell it this semester. Uh, and I'll tell it next semester, it'll be great. Uh, is, is of... Uh, um, Scholar, a biblical scholar, is in his 70s now, D.A. Carson, and he was at McGill University, and he and he and uh, other people were involved in evangelism, and 
And they knew there was this guy on campus named Dave, who's a graduate student, who was a tremendous at evangelism, tremendous at dealing with people, kind of hard cases, edge cases, people who were very difficult to reach. And so they, everybody kind of knew in their little Christian group that if you had a difficult person um, that you didn't know how to kind of get the gospel through to them, you'd take them to Dave. And he, in one of his books, Jay Carson tells a story of there were two guys who were interested, and, and, and they, they, they knew these were the type of people that Dave needed to talk to. I don't know who Dave is, but that's, that's the first name uh, that, that D.A. Carson gave. So they take them. They take these two guys, two non-believers, to Dave. And, and the first guy, and so Dave is busy. He's a very busy Ph.D. student. He says, all right, well, talks to the first one. He says, what, what do you want from me? And he says, I, I don't know. I just kind of want to learn about Christianity. Uh, I, I'm just curious. And it was kind of intellectual, right? It's just I just need information. It wasn't, in other words, he wasn't a religious seeker. He wasn't someone who was really wanting to know more about Jesus. He just wanted kind of answers for a test, you might think of it that way. And, and D.A. Carson said that Dave looks at the guy and says, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. And he turns to the other guy and he says, uh, what do you want? Why, why are you coming to talk to me? And this guy said, look, I grew up in a, in a family, a good family, but we weren't religious. We weren't raised to believe in Jesus. He said, I just want to know, does Jesus make a difference? And D.A. Carson says that Dave turned to this guy and said, I want you to live for me, with me for a month. I've got, I've got a, a spare room. You can move in here. And I want you to watch my life. I want you to watch how I deal with relationships, how I deal with my money, how I deal with studying, how I use my time. At the end of the month, I want you to ask yourself, does Jesus make a difference? And I want you to think about how incredibly courageous on one hand that is. Would you invite somebody into your life to watch it so that they can see the difference that Jesus makes? Would you be that brave? But on the other hand, I kind of want to say it only seems brave because so many of us don't know how Jesus changed our lives. We don't know the difference that He made. And as disciples who are unleashed into the world, what's central to us is to know that for all own spiritual benefit, but for the benefit of others. So we're going to do something a little weird tonight, and that's okay. Um, and that is, you, you have these, these orange sheets, which Mary is going to explain later. Uh, you can just, don't discard them, but you can put them neatly and nicely to the side. But under your chair is an index card. And we're going to take a few minutes, um, and I'm going to give you some time. And I want you to write on that card, uh, you'll listen to me. I want you to write on the card, um, <clears throat> hey, we put up this slide, I want to click there, thank you. How has Jesus changed your life? Don't write that, I'm sorry, write the answer to that. And look, some of you might not be believers, um, that's fine, you can just doodle on that. Um, it, but he, whether you're a non-believer or a believer who just doesn't know how to answer that, one thing I want to offer to you is if you're really struggling with how to answer that question, here's an offer I have to you. You can write your name and, and email address on that, and you can give it to me afterwards. No one will see it. Well, I will. Uh, but, and, and I'd be glad to meet with you and talk more with you about that. Even if you're a Christian and you just kind of want to um, talk through and study, like, how, how, how did Jesus change my life, right? Because there's a lot of scriptural passages that deal with that. I would love to meet with you to talk about that. And here's what I want to invite you is you don't have to put your name on that. You don't have to do whatever. You can keep it. You can throw it away. But um, right outside these doors, there's a cork board. It's a square cork board. And, um, and if we want to invite you, um, and there are push pins in there, to, put, to post yours up there when you leave. Um, after Devo's over and you're heading out, will you put yours up there if you feel comfortable? You don't have to put your name on there. And I would just like to see kind of a testimony on that wall of how Jesus has changed the lives of people in this room. 
Um, we're going to give you several minutes to answer that, um, several minutes of kind of silence. I ask that you um, not talk, don't be on your phone. Um, it's okay to, you know, kind of to deal with the awkward silence. If you need a pen, uh, as you can already tell, our, our uh, incredible interns are going around and giving pens. You can just raise your hand, they'll give one to you. If you don't have an index card, we'll get one to you. In a few minutes, Owen's going to lead a song while you're sitting and still filling those out just to kind of, uh, kind of help uh, move the time along. But take, take a few minutes and answer that. I appreciate you guys listening to me tonight.